Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Jackson Flieger. I'm the student pastor here. If uh, you don't know me, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I think this weather this past week has been incredible, right? Uh, I think that was 2021's year of saying sorry for everything that it brought us, right? And so now we're here, 2022, and there's snow tomorrow, apparently. So the new year, let's, uh, yeah, yeah, right? It's going to be fun. We're looking forward to it. I I'm so excited because the start of the new year is always an exciting time because everybody, everybody is looking around and saying, how can I change for the better? What can I do to be a better version of myself this year? We're all thinking in that mindset, new year, new me. And while that probably falls apart sometimes, this is an awesome time of the year, right? Some of us have decided, man, I need to get healthy. So you've started some keto diet or a juice cleanse, or you've gotten a gym membership because you say, I need to work out this year, right? Or you got a, a treadmill or something like that. Or some of us are saying, hey, I'm finally going to read my Bible every single day. So you picked out a new study Bible, a new reading plan, a devotional. You said, this is going to be the year where I succeed. It's an exciting time of the year as we get to turn the page from 2021 to 2022 and start a new chapter in our life, new chapter in your personal life and in the life of our church. This is an awesome time. Now, what if I told you, hypothetically speaking, of course, that I knew that 2022 was going to be your last year, that you had 365 days and then you were done, right? And then your life was up. What would change in your life? What would you prioritize? What would you value? What would you spend your time doing if you knew you only had a short time left? What would become essential and non-essential in your life. And now what if I told you that the way that you lived your life this year was going to be turned into a letter? And I'm sorry, Kid City, you are dismissed. I completely forgot to do that. I wanted you guys to stay and have fun with us, right? Uh, but you guys enjoy your time, right? So what if 2022 was to be turned into a letter for all of your loved ones to read? Everything, uh, all the things that you did in your life, what you loved, what you valued, how you spent your time, your family at the end of the year would be able to read, mom did this, dad did this, brother loved this, and they would see what you valued, what you cared about, and what was most important. What kind of letter would you want to write with your life to your family? I say that because we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy today, and what we have in the book of 2 Timothy are the final words of one of the greatest Christians that has ever walked the earth. Not that we elevate uh, saints like that, but the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest Christians we have ever Seen. And in the book of 2 Timothy, we have his final words, his last words as he's writing to Timothy. And Timothy was his partner in ministry, his best friend. And in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, My dearly loved son, Paul and Timothy were close. They were really, really close. And so Paul is writing his final words as he sits in prison, in chains, for the gospel, with death coming soon. He writes to Timothy his final words. And we know that last words are important, right? If you're writing your final words to a loved one, you're not like including a lot of fluff or majoring on the minors, right? You're not saying, honey, make sure you take out the trash or make sure to get your oil changed. No, you are talking about, you are writing about what's most important, what's most urgent, what that person needs to hear from you. And so what we see are Paul's final important words to Timothy. So if you have a Bible or you have an iPad or a phone, 
Turn to 2 Timothy because we're kind of going to be all over the place. We're going to look at the, the whole book, if you will, but don't worry. We're not going to be uh, too long. But this is going to be an awesome time in the Word because I believe that with the new year and with everything that God can do in your life and in our church, we're going to remember three truths that can really help this new year be amazing. I really, truly believe that God can do amazing things in your life this year, that God can do amazing things in our church this year. And these three truths are going to make sure that we can be the kind of people that see a movement of God this year. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want anything else but a movement of God in my life. So we're going to look at the book of 2 Timothy. So let's pray before we dive in, and then we will be in our first point. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good, so kind to us, even when our lives feel like they're falling apart, even when we feel like we're in the valley, you are still good. And so we all today here say, yes, I will. Yes, I will praise you. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will trust you, even though trust is hard. And as we turn to this new year, we know that you are still the same God, reigning forever and ever, looking out for your children. And we praise you for that. And we ask that in these next few moments, your Holy Spirit would speak to these people in this room, that you would speak through me, that you would use your word to accomplish your will. God, would you be praised? Would you be glorified? And would we look back on this day and say, This is where the movement of God started in Calvary with these Christians in this room and online. God, be glorified, be praised, be honored. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So the first point, if you're taking notes, I'll say it twice, is this. Remember to be committed to furthering the kingdom of God. Say that one more time. Remember to be committed to furthering the kingdom of God. We find that in 2 Timothy 2. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, You then, my child, we still see that love that Paul has for Timothy. It's his son, it's his child. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will also or who will be able to teach others also. Here, Paul is calling on Timothy to take the message that he has learned and to pass it on to other faithful men, to entrust it to other faithful men. And you say, well, what is the message that Paul is talking about? A message of love, a message of peace, prosperity. Like, what is Paul wanting Timothy to share with other people? It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that he has shared with Timothy that Timothy is now to pass on. That's a message that we all as Christians should be sharing all the time. It's the greatest thing that we can speak about. It's the most important thing in our life is the gospel and us sharing it to other people. And so Paul is calling Timothy to do this. And this comes after Timothy has called uh, or after Paul has called Timothy in chapter 1 to not be ashamed of the gospel, to guard the gospel, to guard the good deposit. Because in Paul and Timothy's time, false teaching was everywhere. Timothy was at the church at Ephesus, and a lot of false teachers were seeping into the church and teaching things that were not true, that were not biblical, that were not the gospel. They were adding and taking away from the gospel. And any time you change the gospel or you just add one more thing to the gospel or you take one little part away, you don't have the gospel anymore. You have something that is dangerous and that can lead people astray. So Paul is saying you need to guard the gospel. Don't be ashamed. And so he's calling Timothy to guard it. He also tells Timothy in verse 15 in chapter 1, you can look at it. He says, two people have left the church. They've deserted the church. So in a time where false teaching is everywhere and persecution is real, as Paul sits in prison, 
Timothy is being called to continue to be faithful to the gospel and to continue to make disciples. In a time where people are walking away from the church and saying, Christianity is too hard, there's too much persecution, Timothy is being called to continue to be faithful to the Lord. And so here in chapter 2, Paul's desire is that Timothy, in this aspect, would continue to be faithful by making disciples. And we kind of see this uh, pattern of discipleship because Paul understands, I'm not going to be here much longer, Paul understands that he is in prison and likely going to die soon. <laughs> so hey, the, the, the Bible's speaking over there to us. Uh, You've got to love it. You've got to love it, right? Uh, I heard some... British sounding man, I said, I didn't know we had someone that sounds like that. That's funny, right? So Paul knows that his days are short, right? It's, it's running out. He's likely going to be put to death for sharing the gospel. So in a way, in this passage, he is passing the spiritual baton to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, it is now your time. It's your time to rise up, to lead the church, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to protect the gospel, to honor God. It is your time. And church, I believe this year it is our time to step up and further the kingdom of God. To magnify the gospel. To make God our priority this year. I believe it is our time. And so we see the pattern of discipleship in verse 2. Paul passed the message to Timothy. And Timothy is to pass the message to other faithful men. And those faithful men are to pass it on to other faithful men. And you see the pattern here. And that's been going on for more than 2,000 years. And that's why you and I sit in this room if you're a Christian. Because somebody passed on the message to you. And that's what Timothy is being called to do. To make disciples. And this is a healthy pattern of, pattern of discipleship for two reasons. One, a true disciple of Jesus makes other disciples. A true disciple of Jesus is actively pouring into somebody, walking with uh, somebody, showing them how to walk with the Lord, love the Lord. That is discipleship, and that is what a disciple does. They make disciples. And hear me on this, especially if you're an older Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time. If you are not replicating yourself into somebody else, you're doing something wrong. If you are not actively making a disciple of Jesus... You are doing something wrong. It is the call of the church. It is the call of Christians to make disciples. It's a healthy pattern of discipleship for another reason too. Because Paul and Timothy realized that the burden of discipleship is too great to carry alone. Right? You and I cannot make disciples of all of the triangle by ourselves. Right? We need more people in the army. Paul and Timothy couldn't guard the gospel and lead the church. They needed faithful men and women to come alongside of them and to reach the city. And so we look in here, think about your neighborhoods, where you live, your, your co-workers. You are not enough to reach every single one of those people, so we need more. We need to constantly be reaching out to people and discipling people so we can reach more people. Souls are on the line, right? Amen? So we want to glorify the Lord in this. But more importantly, look at verse 1 of the text. What we need more than friends in the ministry is the grace given by Jesus. He tells Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's be honest now. I know Pastor David's sitting up here, but he's not looking at you. Making disciples can be a little overwhelming, can't it? It's a little intimidating when you think about it. You are supposed to go out there 
either find a stranger or somebody you know and share the gospel with them. They're supposed to get saved and then you're supposed to show them how to read their Bible, how to pray, how to love the Lord, how to be committed to the church, how to walk with God. That's intimidating, is it not? It is. And you might be sitting here thinking, I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. That's not for me. But here's the beautiful truth, that the strength needed for the discipleship process is not found in you and it's not found in me. It's not found on our church staff or in some discipleship plan, but the strength that you need to make disciples is found in the grace that God has given you. Gordon Fee says this, he says, grace is the sphere in which all Christian life is lived. Discipleship is a big task, but our God is greater and more powerful. And he, by his grace, by his spirit, can empower you and empower me for the process. So you might say, man, I don't know about sharing the gospel with that person, or I don't know about discipling this person. God can empower you to do it. It is not dependent on you. I tell my teens this all the time. The power to live a godly life is not dependent on you and your skills, but it's in God. And so we can go out as God's children and share the gospel with boldness because we know he's empowering us. Not us, but he is So in everything that we do this year in 2022, discipleship should be at the core of who we are as a church, a mark of a healthy church, right? Because there's a lot of churches, but not all of them are healthy. A mark of a healthy church is one that is making disciples consistently. Will that be us? We can make a lot of things this year. We can make money. We can make memories, we can make our our bodies healthier, we can make new friends, but will we make disciples? Will we decide as a church that we are going to make disciples? I was praying this morning and just praying through the sermon. I truly believe, I truly, truly believe that we could see 80 to 100 people come to Christ this year if our church took this call seriously. I don't think there's anything holding us back from this other than God pouring his spirit out on us and us going out And taking the call seriously, we could literally see revival break out in our city through our church. But it's on you and it's on me to be active, to be reliant on the spirit to do this. Imagine what God could do in our church if discipleship was at the core of who we are. Amen? So I ask you this, who will you disciple and you might say, man, I'm, I'm a young Christian. I like just got saved. Maybe what you need to do is be discipled, to walk with somebody, and then you'll be sent out. But if you've been a Christian for some time now, and you've been walking with the Lord, it is your responsibility, and it is my responsibility to make disciples. It's a call that rests on you, and it's a call that rests on me. If this church was to die and to fizzle out, it would be no one's fault but our own for not reaching people, right? So let's do that. Let's do that this year and reach our city because God knows they need it. God knows our world needs the gospel. So he's given you and he's given me for this purpose. If you've been at Calvary anytime, you know it's a part of our DNA. Pastor David talks about discipleship all the time. We must be actively doing it. We must be following God's word and the direction set by our, our pastor to reach the city. Who will you disciple How will you multiply the kingdom of God this year? And so our second truth from 2 Timothy is very much tied to the first because I think without the second truth, the first truth of making disciples is not going to happen. 
If we are not tied to God's word this year, we will not make disciples. We will not reach our city like we are supposed to. Our second point is this. Remember to continue in the scriptures. 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 says this. But as for you, Timothy, or fill in your name, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These are some of the most popular uh, Bible verses about the Bible, right? Uh, My first sermon I preached here on a Sunday morning, I preached it from these verses. And I truly believe that these few verses, if taken seriously in your life, can change your life. If taken seriously as a church, can change our church. These verses contain so much power. And Paul here is calling Timothy to continue in the scriptures. And if you were to look at that word in the original language, you would see that it carries the idea of continually doing it, right? Continue in the scriptures. Do it over and over and over. In a way, Timothy is being called to daily be in the scriptures, to be rooted in God's word, to be rooted in the truth that God has laid out for us in his word. And this comes after verse 13, where Paul tells him that evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul's saying, man, the wickedness in the world is going to get worse and worse and worse. There's going to be more imposters, more false teachers. But he says, you, Timothy, you, Christian, in this room, continue in the scriptures. If you're a young student, you might find it hard at your school campus or off at college to continue following the Lord. You might find it hard in your workplace or in your marriage right now or in your family to continue in the scriptures. But it's a call that we all have to follow. If we are going to guard the gospel and make disciples, it will only happen if we are continuing in God's word. One of the best ways to avoid false teaching bad theology and a bad lifestyle is to continue in what is right, to be immersed in the truth. And that's what we can do as Christians, to be rooted in God's word. Just like Timothy's day, our day has lots of false teachings. (laughs) They're everywhere, right? There's a lot of churches and a lot of pastors that are really popular that aren't teaching the Bible, that aren't teaching the gospel. They're either adding to it, taking away from it, or they just pretend like the Bible doesn't exist. There's a lot of social movements right now in our society that talk like they're empowering people, but they're really leading them down the wrong path. So for you, as a parent, as a child, as a follower of Christ, as a single person, to continue walking with the Lord, you need to be rooted in the Scriptures. And Paul shows us that Scripture is efficient, sufficient for all of Christian life. Look at verse 17. He lists some functions of Scripture. He says that Scripture is profitable for these things, and he lists them. The first is this. He says, God's Word is good for teaching. And what he's referring to here is Christian doctrine, which is really the set of beliefs that we hold to as Christians. What we believe about creation, sin, uh, Jesus, God, all those things come from the Bible. And so for us, like Timothy, to be rooted in Scripture, to avoid false teaching, we must be seeking God's Word and the teaching that we find there. And any time in your life, if you're thinking, uh, man, I should do this, I should live like this, I should believe this, we should put that up against God's word and see if it aligns. And if it doesn't, we should align our life to 
God's word. If you have a a belief, whether it be politically, morally, whatever it is, if it's not rooted in God's word or if God's word would say that's not true, you should be able to set that aside and say, okay, I trust the word of God. It is teaching me in this moment. One of the greatest uh, struggles that people have, especially young people, people my age and younger, is we want to do something. We want to believe something. I think older people do. All of us. Let's just say all of us. I'm not calling you out young people, right? We all do this. We say, I want to believe this. So even if the Bible (laughs) says that's not right, I'm just going to ignore that. It's not what we're called to do. We're called to learn from God's word. He says it's good for reproof or rebuke. The Bible rebukes us by calling out our false beliefs and our false actions, our sinful lifestyle. God's word, when we read it, calls us out. It shows us the error of our ways, and we need this daily because we're daily prone to wander away from God. So when we read God's word, he pulls us back. He calls us out. He says it corrects us. God's word does not only call you out, but it corrects you. It says, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is the right path to walk, right? Some of us maybe grew up with parents or uh, teachers that it seemed like they always just told you what you were doing wrong. And we kind of have a view of the Bible like that. The Bible only says what's wrong. The Bible doesn't do that. It does show you what's wrong, but it also shows you the right path, the path that pleases God and glorifies God. And then fourth, he says that God's word trains us in spiritual uh, righteousness. All Christians should be seeking righteousness, and that comes through God's word. The Christian who says, I want to be like Jesus, but doesn't read their Bible is like, I use this with the teens. It's like someone who says, man, I want a six pack abs. I want to bench 300 pounds, but I don't go to the gym. I don't eat good. I, I, I eat at McDonald's. Well, you're saying you're not going to bench 300 pounds. You're not going to get six pack abs. You're not going to have any of that because you don't work out and you're at McDonald's. It's the same if we say, I want to grow in my walk with Christ. I want to be more like Jesus. That will not happen apart from your involvement in the word, your seeking of God daily in the word of God. God's word empowers us. It says that it uh, equips us, completes us for every good work to be the husband, to be the disciple maker, to, to be the follower of Christ that you need to be. That will only happen if you were spending time in God's word by the Spirit's power. I believe the greatest shortcoming of the American church today is biblical illiteracy. We don't know our Bibles. Almost every single one of us has our Bible in our hand or on our phone, but many of us don't truly know it. Many of us don't truly seek God every day. So we have churches full of people all across America that don't know their Bible, that don't know what God says to them. So we're easily pulled away into false teachings and to impure lifestyles because we don't know God's word Every single day we have the opportunity to search the word of God for heavenly truths. Yet we often don't. Use your imagination for a second. Imagine if I came up to you with some house keys and a shovel and I said, hey, you see this house over here? It's yours. And guess what? In that backyard, there is millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of gold sitting in that backyard. All you got to do is dig it up. What would you do? You would run out there and start digging. You would start panning for gold. You would call your family and say, hey, Get over here. I need your help. There's treasure in my backyard. I need it. You would gather people. You would have a community of people searching for gold, panning for gold. You would say, I've got to get that. We would all do that. Or we'd pay somebody to do it. How much more valuable is God's word than gold? 
How much more valuable is the eternal truth of the eternal God that we hold in our hands, yet often our Bibles stay closed, our Bible app remains the least used app on our phone? And I don't say this to guilt anybody, to make you feel like a, like a JV Christian. I say this to encourage you, imagine what would happen in your life, in your marriage, in your friendships, if you began to take God's word seriously. If you began to search for the gold of God's wisdom in scripture, imagine what would happen in our church, in your family, in our city, if Christians all around took God's word seriously and dove into it. It would be incredible. We have so many resources, apps, Bible studies, seminaries, podcasts, so many things that you can use to know God's word more. And yet many of us don't. We won't see the life change that we want to see this year if our Bible stays closed. We won't see the growth that we want to see as a church if our Bible stay closed. But if from young kids to adults... We take God's word seriously. I believe we can see a revival break out in our city and in our church and in our families and in your life. But it will come through God's word speaking to you. Amen? Amen. Imagine what would happen if we lived a word-saturated life. I think we should be careful to elevate God's word to the, the level that it deserves, right? These are not just man's opinions, You could toss out opinions, right? If I give you an opinion, take it or leave it. But when God speaks, we listen. Uh, For Christmas, I got a a juicer. I'm trying to eat a little healthier. I need more veggies and greens like the average American, right? Uh, So I got this juicer. And the cool thing is you can take apples, kale, celery, oranges, whatever it is. You put it down the juicer and the juicer does its magic. And it gives you all the juice in a nice little cup. And it spits out all the fiber and the pulp and the stuff you don't want in your juice into another cup. Right? It's, it's, it's really nice. So you get this nice glass of juice and you don't get all the stuff that you don't want to drink because it's nasty. Many of us do this. We take our worldviews, we take what we want to do, our desires, and we take the Bible and we put it through our little juicer. And we say, I want these verses. I like these verses. I like what this says about me, but I don't want this stuff, right? I don't want the call to uh, deny myself and take up the cross. That doesn't sound fun. Or, man, I, I, I like my pride too much. I'm going to ignore those verses. Or, 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 or sex is too good for me, so I'm going to ignore these verses. And so we kind of juice God's word, and we take out the verses that we want, and we spit out the ones that we don't. And we do ourselves a major disservice when we do that with God's word, when we pick and choose what we want to follow and what we want to ignore. We need to be a word-saturated church in all of it. Old Testament, New Testament, every single verse is given by God for our good, right? And so we do ourselves a major disservice when we, when we juice out what we don't want and just drink what we do. Let us be a church that seeks God fully through the word. And one last truth. I'm going to get us out at a pretty good time this morning. You're welcome. You're welcome. You'll be able to prepare for the snow. Go get your, your milk and eggs and bread and all that, right? This is the last point, maybe the hardest point, but maybe one of the most important points that we need to realize this year, it's this. Remember that prosperity is not promised in this life. Remember that prosperity is not promised in this life. In chapter four, we see some of Paul's final, final words to Timothy. 
And they're quite sad. I was uh, at a pastoral ministry class at uh, the school I went to, and the teacher was teaching us these two, First uh, Timothy and Second Timothy, just devotionally to encourage us. And he got to this passage, and he began reading it, and he began to cry. He was weeping, and I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And he said, I can never read this section of Scripture without crying, because what we see here is Apostle Paul at the end of his life, and he's lonely. He's suffering. And what we're going to see is he's calling out to Timothy and saying, Timothy, come see me. I, I need to see you soon. My, my days are almost over. And so I'll just say this right now. I would imagine some of us could relate to this. We're suffering right now. We're going through a hardship right now that is causing us a lot of pain. And you would be able to relate to the Apostle Paul because he's on, he's on death row, basically. He knows he's not going to make it out alive. He says, Timothy, if you could, please come see me. Let's read his words. He says this, do your best to come see me soon. For Demes, however you say that, I practice, I failed. In love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus has sent, uh, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. Listen to this in verse 16. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message, uh, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Suffering is a theme throughout the book of 2 Timothy and really we see it throughout the Bible. God's people suffer. And you would say, I feel like suffering is a theme in my own life. I have hardship after hardship. I have trial after trial. Things never go my way. It's health crisis after health crisis. It's family situation after family situation. It's financial setback after financial setback. And what we've seen over the past couple of years is that the whole world suffered. We all collectively were suffering through the same thing. And so Paul is writing to Timothy throughout this whole book. And he tells Timothy not to avoid suffering or not how to escape suffering, but really to expect suffering. He tells him in chapter 1 to share in suffering for the gospel. He tells him in chapter 2 to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, he says, endure suffering. And in chapter 3, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You'll suffer for your faith. See, many of us believe the lie that if we are faithful to God, we somehow will avoid suffering in life. That if I come to church, God will allow my family to stay perfectly together and no one will run off. My kids won't go off and go crazy. We say, God, if I give money, you'll help my credit card situation out or you'll help me get this house. Or God, if I'm faithful to you, you'll help my life get easier. It'll get better. A lot of us believe that in our minds. We think that if I honor God, he'll honor me 
by giving me an easier path to walk. Now, I kind of have a funny illustration of this. When I was 14, 15, I played basketball, big, big basketball fan. And you know, if you've played a sport, you need some good pregame music to pump you up, right? Uh, to get you in the mode, to get you ready to crush the other team. I had this thing where I made sure I listened to more Christian music than secular music because I thought if I honor God in the music that I listened to, he would honor me on the court and help me play better. It, uh, I did that every single time. I would like listen to a little flow rider, then I was back to Christian music. And I was like, okay, let me get a little Kanye West back to Christian music. I did that all the time. And uh, I wasn't that good, so it must have not worked, right? But we do that in our mind and, and, and with our walk with God. We say, God, I will honor you in this, and you help me and make my life easier. But let's consider the Apostle Paul for just a second. He was one of the greatest missionaries that the, the church has ever seen. He reached more people than probably our whole church will ever reach, unless there's a movement of God, right? He did so many amazing things. There's not JV and varsity Christians, but if there were... He would be the team captain of the varsity team. Paul was legit. And here Paul is, at the end of his life, suffering and alone. Many of us would say, man, Paul should be on a beach somewhere. Paul should be relaxing in the end of his days, right? He served God so faithfully. He loved God so much. He read his Bible so much. He wrote some of the Bible. Surely he's due a little prosperity and a little comfort at the end of his days. But that's not true. He's in prison waiting to die. And he writes to Timothy. He says, please come see me soon. I'm lonely. He says, I'm cold. Could you bring my coat that I left? Could you bring the, the scriptures? And he says, at my first trial, nobody stood with me. Paul, at court, innocent. All he's doing is sharing the gospel and nobody stands by him. None of his friends, none of the Christians come to his court appearance and say, no, he's innocent. Nobody stands by him. He's alone. And he says, it's Alexander the coppersmith. He's coming after me. He did me great harm. Some people think Alexander is the reason why Paul is in prison. That he had made some false charges or accused him of stuff he didn't do. And so here Paul is, the greatest missionary ever, at the end of his life, suffering, lonely, cold. I would say this, earthly prosperity is not promised in the Bible. It's not. If it was, Paul would have experienced it. If it was, the early disciples of Jesus would have experienced it, but most of them were killed for their faith. Nowhere in the Bible are you promised 100% that life will be easy if you walk with God. Nowhere. Sometimes it gets easier, right? Sometimes when we walk with the Lord, life does get easier, but it's not promised. And we don't become Christians because the Bible promises that your life is going to be easier. We don't seek God daily so he'll make our path easier to walk. It's not the message of the Bible. I mean, look at Christ. He suffered for us to provide salvation. And you say, man, I'm here on New Year's expecting a pump-up sermon, and this is what you're telling me, to expect suffering. I would say here is the encouraging truth that we see Actually, let me, let me read this first. This is a pastor. He kind of summarizes what I've been trying to say. He says, I've encountered many believers who openly deny the prosperity gospel, which is give a little, get a lot, right? I'll do this for God. He blesses me. Many Christians openly deny that, yet still seem to believe that as long as they have a regular devotion life, avoid grievous or habitual sin, and participate in the local church, then they will avoid suffering. 
When suffering inevitably comes in the form of a financial setback or serious illness, a death in the family, or persecution for their faith, some professing believers begin to question God's goodness or his existence. You see, we need to be prepared for suffering because it will come. And if we aren't prepared for suffering or we buy into this lie that God has promised us a life free of suffering, when it does come, we will doubt God. Say, God, are you really there? Are you really good? Are you not keeping your promises to me? But he's not promised a life free of suffering, but he's promised that he'll be with us during suffering. And let's be honest, in 2022, suffering will come. You can manifest and and put out all the good vibes that you want. You can speak it over your life. You can name it and proclaim it. Suffering will come. I can guarantee you that. Life will get hard. Your heart will be broken. People will stab you in the back. People will get sick. But in that, in that, God is with us. This is the encouraging truth. Listen to Psalm 23. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and staff. They comfort me. The psalmist says here, even though I'm suffering, the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, imagine, fill in the blank of what that could be, the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. God is protecting me. God is watching over me. He is guiding me with his rod and staff. So even though we face suffering, we don't face it alone. God is with us. That's the beautiful message of the Bible. It's not that God just completely makes this life easy, but that he is with us during the suffering. He never turns his back on his children. He never lets you walk through something alone. He is always, always with you. And listen to some of the very last words of the Apostle Paul. As he's writing to Timothy, talking about all these bad things he's going through, he says this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Although Paul suffered greatly. You could read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beat. He was stoned. He was thrown in prison, falsely accused. And through all of that, God didn't rescue him from the suffering in this life. But when Paul died, he was ushered into heaven. He was ushered into an eternity with Jesus. He says, I will be safely ushered in into my heavenly home. So although Paul didn't have earthly prosperity, he will have an eternity of heavenly prosperity, of heavenly comfort, worshiping our Lord and Savior, where there is no more pain, where there are no more tears, where there is no more hardship, but simply the glory of God. And that is what Paul looks forward to. Not that God is going to rescue him from prison and give him an easy life somewhere on the beach, but that God is going to usher him in to heaven, eternity with him. And so if you're struggling here today, if you're hurting here today, I can't promise you that life tomorrow is going to instantly be better, but I can promise you that the God of the universe, the God who created the world, the God who didn't have a beginning start time, he's been here all the time, is with you. He's holding your hand right now. He's watching over you. And even in the mess, he's working out some good. We may not be able to see it. We may never know the good, but he's working out good and he sees you. He sees his child. He sees his daughter. He sees his son struggling and he's watching over you. And the other encouraging truth is that one day you will be free from all the suffering. So while we face trials and while we have work to do here on this earth, we have disciples to make, we have people to reach. 
one day we will be free from all of it. There will be no more divorce. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain, no more crying, because we will be with our God. And so in closing, I would just simply say this. This new year is an opportunity to see God move in incredible ways. We could see this room packed out with people ready to worship Jesus and seek him in his word. We could. And so I think it's important that we remember these three truths because if we want to see a move of God, we need to be the people of God that are ready for the move, that are in tune with his spirit, following him in his word. These three truths will help make sure we are ready and prepared to see God move. And so I just ask you this in closing before we pray, what kind of letter this year are you gonna write with your life? What's gonna be most important to you? What's gonna be the theme of your life? Victimhood, selfishness, seeking comfort, or will it be walking hand in hand with God? What kind of letter is our church gonna write to the world around us? When they drive by Calvary, what will they think? When they see that bumper sticker or they hear that you go to Calvary, what will they think? What would be the first thing that comes to their mind? Ah, oh, man, those people, they're crazy. They love the Lord. Or, ah, oh, there's just a bunch of other hypocrites. It's just another church. Kooky Christians, right? What would be the kind of letter that we will write? Let's pray.